Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Let's look the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this day of joining together in worship, of singing praise to your name and lifting up our voices, Father God, in thanksgiving. We pray now as we come to this time in the service whereby we spend some time in your word, we pray that, Lord, you'd help us to reflect upon the truths contained herein. And while we are praying, Father, we do think today of uh, Ron and Anna, to ask that you have a hand upon them, particularly Ron and uh, hospital. We pray that, Lord, you just uh, uh, restore him back to health and strength. We pray that you take care of Anna in the nursing home. We pray that, God, your hand be upon them uh, as we think of them this day. And Father, now as we open up your word, we pray that you'd guide our time in your word. You'd uh, focus our attention upon the truths that are contained herein. And may we learn from you. May, Father, I have wisdom as I proclaim your word to say only that which you say. May you receive all the praise and glory for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the late 1970s, some Japanese soldiers were found on a remote island in the Pacific. They were unaware that World War II had ended, and therefore they felt they were still at war. And not knowing that the war had ended some 30 years prior to the day to which they were discovered. It sounds ridiculous, but it was true. But even more ridiculous is to be involved in a war and not know it. And yet thousands of people are engaged in a titanic struggle and don't know that they are involved. In fact, all of us today are involved in what we could call a holy war. All of us who know Christ need to know that according to Ephesians chapter 6, that we are at war. And here in this passage, there are at least three indicators that show that we are in a war. We're in a war because, first of all, we're called soldiers in Ephesians 6, 10, 11. And secondly, we're in a war because we have an enemy. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. We further know that we're in a war because we're in a battle in Ephesians 6, verses 12 to 20. Today, we're going to consider the first of these. that We know that we're in a war because... We are called soldiers here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 11. The word isn't actually used, but it's there by implication. When you notice how he starts out this passage in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the law and the power of his might. Finally. Now, in this instance, when Paul says finally, he actually does mean finally. You know, some of the other books he says finally, and he's got as much of the book to go as he had past but in this case in Ephesians chapter 6 he's actually coming to the end of his letter and as he brings this letter this discussion to a close he ends by saying finally here are my, my concluding remarks with regard to all that I've said to you in the book up to this time you know Paul has established in this letter of Ephesians our place in Jesus Christ he's told us about the basics of the Christian walk He's told us how we got saved in the beginning of the book. He's told us how to walk uh, in the middle of the book. And then he's applied that to practical 
areas of life, from husband to wife, to children to parents, and to servants to masters. And this is the last section dealing with that Christian walk. It possibly says that in the light of all that God has for you, in the light of the glorious standing that you have as a child of God, in the light of his great plan of the ages that God has made you a part of, in the, in the light of the plan for the Christian maturity and growth that he gives to you, in the light of the conduct God calls every believer to live, in the light of the filling of the Spirit and our walk in the Spirit, in the light of all this, he says, there is a battle to fight in the Christian life. It's as though all that up to this point has been in preparation for this very thing. All these truths lead us to this understanding that you and I are in a mighty battle, a Christian warfare that God wants to prepare us for and enables for. Whether we want to believe it or not, beloved, we are in a spiritual warfare. And you and I are fighting a very real enemy. And the very name by which you and I are called tells us that we're in a warfare. You and I are called soldiers. I've said not necessarily here in verses 10 and 11 by name, but by but we are called it by name in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. There, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You and I have been chosen to be a soldier. You know, a Christian is not just someone who has decided to start a new life or started to live a new way of, uh, uh, decided to live a new way of living. He's someone who's been chosen to be a soldier by the King of Kings. He makes it clear that you and I have been chosen to be a soldier. And as soldiers, then there are some things that you and I need to understand. If we're going to be effective as soldiers in the army of the King of Kings, then there are some principles, some truths, some um, things that you and I need to understand with regards to that relationship that Paul deals with here in Ephesians chapter 6. And as soldiers, we are instructed that first of all, we must submit to leader in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, the detailed teaching of spiritual warfare in this passage presents to you and I two essential components, two foundational truths that underlie all the, uh, the rest of this chapter, two truths that you need to understand. First, we must be strong in the Lord, as my verse 10, and then we must put on the armor of God, as verse 11, uh, verse, uh, 11 tells us, put on the whole armor of God. And these two essential truths are important for you and I to understand. Because it's often these two essential truths that in Christian teaching gets overlooked. We love to talk about the, the Christian armor. We talk about putting on the whole armor of God, something that's emphasized, but what often gets overlooked is the very first principles of this verse, uh, this section in verse 10. You know, we've talked about putting on the armor, 
But before we ever put on the armor, we must first and foremost be strong in the Lord. That's what he says in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Literally, the Paul says here, strengthen yourselves in the Lord. If you and I are going to be affected in this battle, in this spiritual warfare, then you and I need to be strengthened in the Lord. If you take a weak man who can barely stand, and you put upon him the best armor that's available, he will still be a weak man and an effective soldier. He will be easily beaten. Just because he's wearing all the modern armor, because he's got all the right gear, if he is a weakling, he will be a weakling. And he will not be very effective as a soldier. So equipping the Christian for Christian combat must begin with you and I, first of all, being strengthened. We need to be strong in the Lord. Now, before a soldier is given a gun or shown how to fire a missile, he goes through what is called basic training. One great purpose for basic training is to build up the recruit's physical strength, to make him strong physically that he or she might then be able to be in combat. So if the army says to the recruit soldier, we're going to give you the best weapons and armor possible, but first we need to make sure that you are strong and that you can use what we give you. And the same is true here for believers. If you and I are going to put on the whole armor of God, if you and I are going to be effective in the, in the fight that's ahead of us, then you and I foremost may be strong in the Lord as believers build some spiritual muscle. We need to go to basic training. We need to build up our spiritual uh, ability, our spiritual strength, that you and I might be strong in the battle because all the armor world will not make a weakling strong. That's why it's important for you and I to read God's Word on a regular basis. That's why it's important for you and I to come to church because this is the place where God tells us that He gave unto the church gifted men that they might perfect the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. Which we've already seen in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And so it's important that you and I read God's word. It's important that you and I attend church so that you and I might strengthen the Lord, that we might be strong in the Lord, so that we might be able to fight the good fights. But we need to remember that our strength in this holy war comes from the Lord. It's not by might, not strength, but by thy power, saith the Lord. It's all of him. For you and I to win the victory, then we need to be strengthened in the Lord. And secondly, it says, and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This shows how to get this strength. You know, this strength doesn't happen by just saying the words. It's not an incantation that you and I can just repeat and so then it becomes a reality. You can't just walk around saying, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and repeat it over and over again and eventually it happens to you. You become strong in the Lord and the power of his might because you've convinced yourself of it, because you've said the incantation over and over again. It just won't happen. Christianity is one of the self-help formulas where you go around saying every day and in every way I'm getting better and better. 
by spirit, but but by spending time with the Lord, alone with Him, then you and I are empowered by His strength. Because it's by His strength, by His power, that we win this battle. We're to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It's all of Him. It's dependent upon Him. It's getting to know Him. It's getting to rest upon Him. It's getting by faith to be able to trust Him in the midst of the battle that we can depend on the Lord because we know Him and we've been strengthened in Him. You know, many Christians today would judge the teaching of these verses in Ephesians chapter 6 as unimportant. You know, they encourage us to think positively, to think peacefully, as if there were no spiritual bows at all. You know, today the modern thinking of Christians is that the Christian is not an entrance into warfare, but an exit from it. And you can read book after book how that, you know, we've, we've been delivered from the battle, we've been delivered from the, the war. They see uh, it as a, uh, simply Christianity as a solution to our problems. If you're sick, Jesus will heal you. If you are discouraged, Jesus will make you happy. It's about felt needs. It's about making you feel good. Christianity is a feel-good religion. If you're feeling discouraged, God will help you to be encouraged. It's all about that. And you listen to some of the modern preaching, and it's all about you, and it's all about what God can do for you in the sense of how he can make you feel. But we're in a warfare, beloved, and Christianity is about the battle that we face and reading God's word and spending time with, uh, with God is all about equipping you and I for the battle ahead that's been strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You know, you get the impression from some people, those who talk uh, about Christianity and say that they believe in Jesus, they think it's that uh, believing in Jesus is that once we get saved, we enter upon a smooth path. We enjoy smooth sailing. That's not what Paul had in mind here when he records for you and I, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're engaged in a spiritual warfare. And you and I must not fight the good fights in our own strength. You and I must not engage in this warfare by our own abilities. We must fight the good fight in his strength. We really do need the Lord. You know, God has vast reservoirs of might that you and I can call upon in the midst of the battle to be strengthened in his strength to do his will, to his glory. His might will work. But you know, his might does not work in me as I sit passively. He might, his mighty works in me happen because I am doing his will. His might works in me as I rely upon him, as I step out to serve him as I spend time with him in his word and spend time being equipped in the local church for the work of the ministry, and then I step forth to the glory of God to do the work of God, God strengthens me in his might to his glory. You know, I can rely on uh, his power, no work. Or I can do no work without relying on his power. Both of these will fall short. 
We must go forth in his strength if we're in the war. And rely upon his might to do the work. You know, we've all experienced that. You know, we've tried to accomplish something on our own and we, we fail miserably. We, we find, you know, we think that we have the ability, we think we can do it, and we go forth in our own strength, and we fall flat on our face, and we wonder what went wrong. And what went wrong was that we failed to go forth in His strength. We weren't strong in the Lord and the power of His might. But if we're going to engage in the battle, and if you and I are going to win the war, then you and I need to go forth in His strength, in His power, in His might. We need to be strong in the Lord in His might. You know, it's not I do everything and does nothing. Nor is it I do nothing and God does everything. It's not even I can I do all I can and then God fills in the blank. I can't do something because each of those pro, those processes falls short. It's required. You know, the key for me by faith to walk in His strength. It's for me, by faith, to walk in his might. That I rely upon him daily, moment by moment, minute by minute. I rely upon him and I go forth in his power and his strength to do his work to his glory. You know, there is a, there some teach that, you know, uh, you and I do what we can, and then God will strengthen us to do that which we can't. Well, that's not true. He wants us to go forth in His power, in His strength and His might, in totality. Philippians 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It's not that I can do all things. It's all things through Christ as you and I walk in the Spirit, as you and I walk under the control of the Lord Himself, as you and I are strengthened by His might, then you and I, through Him, can do all things. I can't do all things. You can't do all things in your own strength. We can only do all things through Christ, through the empowering that our relationship to God gives us, through the empowering that King and the Spirit gives to us, through the empowering that spending time with God gives us. As God takes control, as you and I are filled with the Spirit, then you and I, through Him, can do all things. We're to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. With Jesus, we can do all things. Without him, we can do nothing. Now, secondly, if we're going to fight the good fight, if we're going to be good soldiers in this army that we've been enlisted in, then we must not only submit to the Lord, but we must put on the whole armor of God. It says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. As Christian soldiers, we be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then the third thing we need to do is we need to put on the whole armor of God. God has supplied you and I some armor. And the command here is to put it on. Put on the whole armor of God. 
Now, the armor of God is going to be explained later on in this passage. But the emphasis here in verse 11 is not on each part of the armor. The emphasis is on the armor as a whole, the whole armor of God. It says, put on the whole armor. Now, the word rendered, and it's one Greek word rendered, whole armor, means complete armor. It means offensive and defensive. We put on all the armor that enable us to be defensed against the attacks and to also take on the offensive, to go forward into the battle. You know, the Christian warfare is not just about you and I defending the ground and not taking the battle of the enemy. The Christian warfare is also about being offensive, going forward. And the armor here speaks of that two-way thing, the offensive and defensive aspect of action warfare. And God gives to you and I as believers, each and every one of us, a full set of equipment. When he sends us out into the battle, he sends us out with everything you and I need to obtain the victory. Second Peter, chapter 1, please. Second Peter, chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord, according unto, as, uh, as his divine power hath given unto all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that he hath called us to glory and virtue. The Bible says here that God has given to you and I all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need to win the Christian war, he has given to us. He's given all things to us that pertain to life and godliness. And notice what it says at the end of the verse. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse puts it this way. Grace and peace be multiplied on you through the knowledge of and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We've got to get to know him. We've got to be strengthened in the Lord. And we're strengthened in the Lord through the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And gain that knowledge through the knowledge of him that has called us into glory and virtue. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given you and I a full set of equipment. There is a Christian soldier that does not have all the equipment he needs for the battle. It's not a case of you and I went to the armory and you know the people that were there first got all the good gear and what's left is not so good. And some of us have to go into the battle without the headgear and some have to go into the battle without the breastplate and some have to go into battle without the right foot if it shoes on our feet and some have to go into battle without a sword. It's not like that. God has given to you and I the whole armor. Every bit we need, offensive, defensive, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't that what he says in Second chapter 3? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly equipped is what it means. As you and I study the Word of God, 
privately and as you and I sit under the ministry of the word of God in church then you and I are being equipped this is like God's armory when you come to church and you're sitting under the sound of the word of God and God's equipping you and I for the ministry he's making us thoroughly uh, furnished under all good works he's equipping you and I for everything he wants to do he's given to you and I all things that pertain to love and godliness so that you and I might indeed put on the whole armor of God God equips you and I fully for the battle we have at our disposal all that we need the armor of God is both in the sense of that it's from him and also in the sense that it's his actual armour. Did you know in the Old Testament that the Lord is the one who wears this armour? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59. I thought this was rather interesting this week. You might not have, but I did. I thought this was rather interesting. Isaiah 59 verse 17. Verse 16. And he said, There was no man and wondered. <coughs> Sorry, I'm reading the wrong chapter. Uh, no, I am reading the right chapter. Wrong verse. Uh, verse 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. In Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. This is speaking about God. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and as a helmet of salvation. <laughs> and you and I are told to put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. You see, this armor originally was worn by God, metaphorically speaking. And God now takes the armor that he wore in the Old Testament and he gives it to you and I. He gives to us the helmet of salvation. He gives to us the breastplate of righteousness. He gives to us his armor. As I said, I thought it was interesting. You might not, but I did. I thought it was very interesting. That God takes his up and he gives it to you and I as believers here in Ephesians chapter 6. And he says, now, beloved, put on the whole armor of God. It's his armor. Put it on. No wonder you and I are more than conquerors, as Romans 8, 37 says. You and I have at our disposal the very armor of God to wear in the battle. And the victory is therefore guaranteed. We've been given a full, of God, a full set of armour. And the reason why we have this armour given to us is, according to verse 11, the second part of the verse, is so that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We express the strength we have in God by standing against the wiles of the devil. You and I have a very real enemy. And our enemy is the devil. And we're going to see that next week because we're going to see the second one of these. We are soldiers. That's how can we know we're in the in a warfare. We have an enemy. That's why we know we're in a warfare. We're going to look more detail about him in verse 12 where it talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But to mention it here, you have to do, because we're talking about being soldiers, we have an enemy. A very real enemy. First Peter 5.8 says, Be so, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, uh, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The word adversary in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, literally means enemy or opponent. 
He is described as the deceiver, the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, the murderer, the god of this age, the lion, the serpent, and the old dragon, just to name a few. He's a very real, powerful enemy. He's a powerful foe. He's not a myth, folks. He's not somebody to be taken lightly. He's an enemy. It says that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there means trickery. The trickery of the devil. Powerful foe, he's a tricky foe. We need to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against his trickery. The assurance of God is that Satan's schemes against us come to nothing when you and I stand against them in his strength. When we're strong in the law and the power of mind and we put on the whole armor of God, you and I can stand against the devil. And we tree. God has equipped you and I so that you and I can stand. So that you and I can make a stand against the devil. John Stott said this, the tactics of intimidation and insinuation alternate in Satan's plan of campaign. He plays both the bully and the beguiler. Force and fraud form his chief offensive against the camp of the saints. The team, isn't it? The beguiler. The bully. The force and the fraud. That's who we face. And therefore, as we advance against our foe, you and I cannot go into battle using our own weapons of warfare. We can't go using our own abilities, our, our, our self uh, our power, a human merit, our own will. We can't win the battle in our own strength, beloved. These are like David, you know, when David was facing Goliath and Saul gave him two armor and David said, take this armor from me for they're not proven. And he went out with a sling and a stone and the power of Almighty God behind him and slew Goliath. Beloved, the, the weapons of our warfare are unproven weapons. They can't win the battle, folks. We need to put on the whole armor of God. We're going to win the war. We must put on the armor provided by our commander. Because God has given to you and I everything you and I need for the victory. We have a powerful enemy. An all-powerful God. We also have God's protective armor. You know, it said, look in 1 John. Here's a great verse too that I'm sure you all know. 1 John 4. Ye are of God, little children, and overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he in the world. Beloved, we have within us the Holy Spirit, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We cannot be defeated by the foe if we stand in the power of the Lord. If we're strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God, you and I can stand. That's greater as he does than he's in the world. We need to put on the whole armor of God. We need to hold our position. We need to wage a good warfare and win the battle for the Lord. Now the word stand here in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand 
against the walls of the devil. The word stand, when used in a military sense, means to either take over, or to hold a watch post, or to stand and hold. It has this, this idea of, uh, of uh, moving forward, taking uh, possession of some ground, and then standing and holding that ground. Waiting for the next uh, advance, moving forward and taking the next bit of ground and standing and holding that ground. That's this stand. And either way we look at it, beloved, the implication is clear. You and I must put on the best protective gear that God has given to us and you and I must stand firmly in our respective positions because the battle is raging all around us and what's required of us as believers is that we stand firm and we are not moved. We don't give an inch to the devil and his forces, but we stand up for Almighty God in his strength. God wants us to hold our ground and advance and defeat the foe. You know, the enemy loves the wounded saints. It did not take upon them the armor provided for them by the Lord. Beloved, let's therefore be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And take unto us the armor of the Lord that we may be able to take a stand alongside the Lord and not be found on the battlefield in disarray because we failed to take the armor of the Lord. We are soldiers in the army of the King of Kings. Let's make sure we're ready for battle. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore these verses here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at the, the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's our enemy. And then we're going to have a look at the fact that we're in the midst of a battle. We're going to have a look at this warfare and the armor in detail that we might indeed be ready for the battle for the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for Ephesians chapter 6 and this challenge, Father God, to be uh, strong in the Lord, the power of his might, and put on the whole armor of God. Help us, Lord, indeed, to be strong in you. Help us, indeed, Father God, to be strengthened in you day by day. May, Father God, we receive from you that power that we need to be faithful for you and Help us, Father God, to put on the gospel armor. Help us to put on the whole armor of God. That we may be able to stand against the walls of the devil, that you might indeed get the victory. Bless us now, we pray to close the hymn. Commend your word to our hearts, we pray. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.